All right, um, so we have been talking about Romans, and we've been in chapter 9. We haven't been talking about it. We've been going through it. Um, and we have been in chapter 9, but we haven't actually gotten to chapter 9 yet. Um, flip those lights on for me, will you, Mr. Um, and um, there we go. And so today we are going to begin uh, walking through Romans chapter 9. And I cannot find my Bible. Anybody seen that? Is it back there? Uh, could somebody pass that up to me? Um, so in the last couple of weeks, we've really been doing an introduction. And um, thank you. Uh, what we've done is we recapped what we walked through in Romans chapters 1 through 8. Um, we haven't been going through the whole thing continuously. We, you know, went through a few chapters at a time and hit the next chapter, you know, and then we did Romans chapter 8. And, uh, so last week we talked about Romans 8, cha- uh, chapter 8, verse, verses 30 through 32, where Paul defines what he means by predestination. And so last week we saw that, you know, there's a scale, um, when you talk about God, um, and the scale goes from predestination where God is um, a, a, a puppet master and, and we're all on strings, right? And then that's the extreme view, okay? And uh, so we're all here and, and this is Daniel and this is me and, you know, this is, you got Nathan over here and you got Mystica, right? So we're all, we're all just puppets on a string, by God, that's the extreme view. And what we saw last week is that Paul does not in any way subscribe to this view. Uh, this view, this extreme view, is, is not Paul's theology. And so Paul revealed that we as the church are those who are predestined. Okay? We as individuals are not predestined to be alcoholics, or CEOs, or, or drug addicts, or, or plumbers. Uh, you know, that's, that's our choice. Um, the church, the church is the one that is predestined. We as a group are predestined. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8, verse, I believe it's 31, what are we, what are we as the church predestined to be? Holy. We're predestined to be holy, and nothing other than holy. So, you and I make the decision to be a part of the church. So we have the choice, and Paul's been talking about this all throughout Romans. Starting in, uh, especially his main idea, his main point is Romans 1.17. And he says, you have the choice to accept Jesus. You live and you walk in that relationship by faith. This word faith is, our, is the same as our word trust. Um, now, God himself does do things in our world, right? He hadn't, he hadn't set the world spinning, right? And then he just steps back. He does stuff. He does stuff all the time. And we want him to do things. He still works in our world. He, he still has, has this this providence in our world where he can take my junk and use it for his glory. Um, he, he still chooses things. He chose Abraham, 
If you look in the Old Testament, he chose a guy named Abraham to start the nation of Israel. We're going to look more about him today. He, he chose Jacob uh, instead of his brother Esau to carry on the lineage of Israel. He chose, and this, and this one might kind of flip you out, he chose Mary to give birth to Jesus. Right? So you may say, whoa, 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 Mary didn't have a choice in that. Right? But here's the thing. Mary is very clear in Scripture. All Mary wanted to do was to follow the Lord. That's all she wanted to do. That was her heart's desire. I hope it's the heart's desire of every woman in this room to follow God with all of their heart. And so God, by giving her Jesus, in no way forced this on her. This was a desire that she had. Maybe not that specific desire, but the desire to follow God. So these decisions on God's part never um, took away the free will of me or you or Mary or, or Abraham or any of, these, any of these people. It doesn't mean that you can no longer choose for yourself. So we are somewhere in between here. And we'll narrow it down more and more as we go. So this chapter, chapter 9, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, these, these are two chapters that are used to, to legitimize the theory or the opinion that God, you know, that God chooses um, um, whether we want to follow Jesus, right? Now, if you're, if you're getting technical, there's, there's a line in the middle. Most people don't go this far. There are still people who do. And most people don't go that far. Most people, um, if they are in that predestination realm, they're kind of right in here. Um, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about that through the series. But here's the thing. We have to understand that when you look at chapter 9, you can't just take some of these verses. Let me read, let me read uh, a verse for you, freak you out a little bit. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. <laughs> some of you are in and some of you are out. That's, you can't just take this verse and pull it out of context because that's not what it means. That's not what he's getting at. And we have to understand that Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11, they're all one section. You've got to read it in context, in one section. And so Paul's main idea... Um, that in verse 117, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith or trust from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You want to you wanna have a home in heaven? You want to know God? Then it's not because you're here at church. That's not a relationship. It's not, it's not even you saying the prayer before dinner, God, thank you for this food. He wants your heart. He wants every bit of you. And, and, it, and he makes it very clear, if you want to be righteous in his eyes, you have to live by trusting him. And I think we all know how hard that is, right? It's, it's, it's very difficult and for most of us, it's difficult in this area of our life or, or this area of our life or, or our finances or, or, you know, just keeping our eyes pure or whatever it may be. But this is the main idea that Paul has had 
The righteous will live by trusting Jesus. This is the main idea he's had from the beginning all the way up to now. And he doesn't turn a 180 and start saying, you know what, I know I said this, but some of you will never be righteous. The thing is, it's a choice that we can make at any time in our lives. Now, in Romans chapter 9, Paul is doing three things simultaneously in this chapter. We talked about a lot of the background uh, the last two weeks, so I'm not going to um, go back to that. But he's, here's what he's doing. He wants to point out how the Jews are saved by trusting Jesus just like the Gentiles are. Jews had this background where they got all the promises. They were, they were the, the holy people and all this stuff. Gentiles, they were just people outside of Israel. You know, they heard about God, the God of Israel, they heard about all that stuff. But now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles are starting to know Jesus without doing all the Jewish stuff, right? They're not going to the synagogue, and they're not, they're not um, doing the sacrifice and all this stuff. So he wants to point out, guys, you're saved by trusting Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And then one of the, the second thing he wants to do is that he wants to resolve, there's this problem that is central to the animosity that he's seen between the Jews and Gentiles. The Jews don't like the Gentiles because they don't feel like they've earned their, their Jesus, right? And the Gentiles don't like the Jews because the Jews are forcing all this junk on them. And they're, you know, back off of me, right? And so there's this animosity. And so he's, he wants to kind of resolve this problem. And then thirdly and obviously, he wants to proclaim Christ as Lord. He wants to proclaim Christ as Lord. Um, so, <clears throat> here's what I want to do. I want to I take a few minutes, and I want to I do a group exercise with me. You guys look like you're a little tired this morning. Is it because it's been raining all week long? Or? Here's what I want to do. I want some input, and we're going to write a short, a very, very short story. Okay? So... I don't want it to be spiritual, just anything. Someone shout out, give me a subject. Any, it can be anything. What? Rain. rain. All right, so we've got, that's our subject, rain. Let me write that down. Bless you. Rain. Now, we need a main idea that centers around this rain. What's the first thing that jumped into your head, first sentence that jumped into your head when he said rain? What? Flood. We need a sentence around that. A main idea. There's a flood in Uptown. All right, so this is our main idea, right? Uh, flood in Uptown. I'm going to... All right. I hope you can read that. All right, so this is our main idea. Now, if we're going to write a story, what are the components that you need in, say, an essay? When you, you know, the technical things. Bye. Anybody remember English? Subject, <laughs> we covered that, yeah. <laughs> Introduction, okay, yep. So we've got an intro. What's that? Problem, body, yeah, body. Yep, and then what? Conclusion, all right, great. Man, you guys are English whizzes. Um, okay, so... Normally, in a story, you have a problem, as uh, Caroline said. Uh, so, we 
we have our problem is actually in the in the main idea uptown floods but if you're going to properly explain and tell a story then you have to have an intro a body and a conclusion so somebody introduce our story for us can somebody give me like a one sentence introduction that oh Wow. Okay, here we go. Uh, so our intro is the city of New Orleans is below sea level. Okay? That's all I, that's all I remember. Uh, now, if you're going to have a body, you can't just have the main idea, right? The city of New Orleans is below sea level. It was a flood in uptown. And then we conclude. Got to have a little meat on this bone, right? Okay, so we need a couple more sentences around the body. We've got our introduction. City of New Orleans is below sea level. What's the next sentence that comes to mind? English majors. Everybody's freaking out here. Oh, what are you doing? Where's he going with this? I didn't come to church to think. city of New Orleans is below sea level. There's something that has to go before we introduce our main idea. Nice! I like that. On Tuesday, so this is our body, we had... Did anybody flood? Oh, good. Okay. So that caused a flood in Uptown. Now, we need a sentence, a third sentence in our body here to kind of complete the paragraph. I want to finish this up, and then we'll hit our conclusion. Nice. Somebody was an English major, yes. Need to work on our drainage system. Drainage. That is the promise of every mayor that has ever come into office over the last 50 years, right? Um, so, the city of New Orleans is below sea level. Tuesday we had four inches of rain. It caused a flood, right? Caused a flood in Uptown. We need to work on our drainage system. Now we need to conclude our story here. <laughs> Says the man who works for the core. <laughs> so, I don't know, English majors, can you end a story with a, uh, with a question? All right, okay, Daniel, you pass. Can we depend, nice, on the core of engineers? All right, so... We have our intro, our body. What is that? How do you spell conclusion? Here we go. Okay. Our intro, our body, and our conclusion. I told Lee that this was either going to be an epic fail or it was going to do awesome. And um, I, I think it did awesome. Um, so here's the thing. Every story has this. Every book has this. If you get a book and it doesn't have this, you're not going to read it for long, right? Because it, it goes nowhere. You always have something that introduces, introduces the issue or the problem 
or, or the plot of the story. Then you have the body, right? And normally in a book, the body's chapters and chapters long. And then you have the conclusion, you know, where if it's, you know, a Tom Clancy novel, the, the bad guy gets killed and the submarine, you know, is rescued. So you, you've got these things that go on. And, and it's no different here than it is here. You cannot read chapter 9 without first identifying the introduction, the body, and the conclusion. And let me tell you what's going on. The introduction is in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. We're going to go through 1 through 8 here in a few minutes. The conclusion is at the end, verses 30 through 33. All right? But what so many people do with this chapter is they, they just go straight into the body and they say, oh, look at that verse. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Ooh, wow, that's a pretty tough verse, right? And, and, and you just cannot do that. You cannot take Scripture out of context. The only time that you can do this in Scripture is in the book of Proverbs. And sometimes even not there. Because the book of Proverbs is actually, you know, one-liners. I mean, it's, it's just boom, 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 boom. And they don't have much of a context. There's a couple of places, like uh, in, in chapter 1, at the very beginning, I think it's 1 through 7, they all go together. But, but when you're looking at some of the others, it's just, just Proverbs. But Paul is writing a letter. And it would be no different than if he were writing a letter um, to me or to you. So let's look at his introduction and how he reveals that those who want to be righteous live by faith or by trust. Verses verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So Paul is disturbed about something. And this isn't something, you know the conviction you get when you sin, right? This isn't a sin conviction. This is something that the Holy Spirit has confirmed in Paul. And he's saying, listen, there's an issue. I want to take care of this. Verse 3 and, and part of 4. It says, For I wish... Now, now get this. This is a very uh, um, risky verse, if, if you really look at it. It says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Y'all see that? Paul just said, Listen... I wish I were cursed, but he doesn't say that. He says, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Who takes that risk, right? I mean, I don't even want to say that. <laughs> it's, it's, that scares me to death. But Paul's making it very clear that, that if he could do this for his, for his people, because he is an Israelite, if he could do this for his people, then he would think about it. So, here's, here's the question. What's he thinking, right? What, what's he talking about? Why would he even contemplate being cut off from God for Israel? What is it that's going on here? Verse 4. Theirs is the adoption. So, he starts to go through all the perks that Israel got being a nation of God. Theirs is the adoption as sons. 
Theirs is the divine glory. Theirs is the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So Paul explains these perks that they had that other nations did not have. And he says, listen, you guys were the ones that were adopted. You guys were the ones that were given all of these promises, every one of them fulfilled. You guys had, had the structure in the law that helped you relate to God and understand how to come to God. You guys had all of these things. You had access to God. You had the godly leaders. You had a path to Jesus. So here's the question that Paul is asking. Did God fail? Did what he say, said fail? Because why didn't they go all in? If you got all these things, why didn't they go all in? Why were they continually running from God? Did all that God had done and set up for the Israelites and all that he had said to them, did it all fail? So this question is, is huge. Because if you think it failed, then God is no different from you or I. He's fallible. He's a mistake-ridden being, right? And we might as well do life without him. So this question's the same as our question as to whether the Bible is true and everything it says. It applies to us in that way too. And if we don't believe it, then we might as well just do life on our own. And, and many of our friends and, and family members, I mean, they are there, right? They don't believe Scripture is all it's cracked up to be. They don't believe it's true. And so therefore, they don't, they don't believe in Jesus. They can't understand the miracles, and they can't understand why Jesus had to come and die for them. They can't understand any of that, so they, they, they don't. They don't believe it. Now, the hard part about this is that Paul doesn't outright state his question here. Don't you hate that when somebody kind of beats around the bush a little bit, you know? <clears throat> I will not talk about my wife. Um, so, so you, you know, you hate that. You hate how, how, you know, you're like, what are you trying to say? Just tell me, Paul. But Paul states it very clearly in the conclusion. This is why the conclusion and the introduction are so important here. Go to, go to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 30. It says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? So what he's saying is, so, so what's the issue here, guys? You're, you're aggravated because the Gentiles came to know Jesus, and yet you, Israelites, you pursued a law of righteousness. And you've not obtained righteousness. So he says, why not? Because they pursued it not by trust, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They're doing, doing, doing. They're trying to be as good a person as they can be. Paul says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. So here's, here's what this is like. You're walking down, you're walking down a, a path, and God puts a stone right in the middle of the path. And here's what happens. Everybody stumbles over it, right? Oh, I'm stumbling over it. Some people look back and go, what was that? Some people just keep going. Some people will, will trip up, right? You know how when you're in Walmart or 
Rouse's or Winn-Dixie or wherever you shop. And you know sometimes they've got these little lips on um, the steps, right? And, and it's, or, or those rubber things that are covering wires. And you trip over it, but you just keep on walking like, hey, good. No, you know, it's all right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you just keep walking like, nobody saw me. It's cool. It's all right. But me, I turn back and I look at that thing and I go, and I, like, I argue with it, right? I'm looking at it like, what in the world? What's going on? Why would you put, you know, and I'm talking to myself and I look like a freak, but nonetheless. Here's what Paul's trying to say. There's a stumbling stone. And God put it there. It's Jesus. And, it say, and he says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it was written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble. A rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The one who stops and takes stock of what made them stop in their life. The one who stops and says, Whoa! I'm going down the wrong path here. That person will never be put to shame. So Paul is making it very clear that this is about Israel. This is about the chosen nation, the one that God chose. Now, verse 6. Go back to verse 6. He says, It is not as though God's word had failed. So he answers his own question. Did God's word fail? No, it didn't fail. Yay, okay. So he didn't leave us hanging there for long. That's, that's good. It's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. You got that? Just because you're born into Israel doesn't mean you are one of God's children. God's word has not failed. It's the people who have failed, right? Verse 7. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, Paul's really thought through what he wants to say here. And unless you're an Israelite, things start to get a little muddy, okay? Uh, things start to get a little, oh, what's going on here? But it's no different than if you found a letter on the sidewalk after you tripped over that stone, right? You found this letter on the sidewalk, and it was to two people you didn't know. And you read it, and you would say, what's going on here, right? So this is what, we're, what we've got here. We've got a letter written by Paul to churches in Rome, and there's some stuff that... They know, they have knowledge of, there's background with the Old Testament. It, it's very similar, like Leave, my wife. She loves to write letters, right? How many of us still write letters? Anybody? Anybody? All right, great. So, a couple people, right? It's, it's becoming a lost art. It really is. And, and my wife will write letters, you know, she'll, she'll she just overcome with joy, you know, about a friendship or something like that. And so she'll write a letter saying... I love our friendship, and I mean, it's, it's ooey-gooey, and it's always to other girls, and that kind of thing. So. And, and, and the thing is, she does two, three, four drafts sometimes. I mean, she'll, she'll write it, and nah, I don't like that, and then she'll have me read it, and I'm like, okay, this is ooey-gooey. Yeah, sure, that's, I think that explains your heart, right? And the thing is, you can write down on paper a whole lot better than you can write down uh, than you can uh, say at the moment, right? Like when I'm up here and I'm speaking, I will leave and I will go home and, and I'll be sitting on the couch watching, you know, Tiger lose in the British Open today. 
And, and I, I will sit there and go, oh, I should have said that. Oh, man, I forgot that illustration. Oh, why didn't I say that? I'm kicking myself all the time. Just know that these messages are so much better in about four hours, okay? They really are. <clears throat> and, and so here's the thing. You can write down and you can take the time and write everything out that you want to say. Paul's done this here. And he's taken the time to write out everything he wants to say. And he starts to weave quotes in and out of his argument by walking down the lineage of those who first represented Israel in leadership. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. These guys were the most revered men to the Jews. And he's striking right at the heart of the argument that he has with them to say that, you know what, your, your forefathers, your spiritual fathers, the prophets, all of them preached a salvation by trusting Jesus. Every single one of them. And so when Paul reads this quote here, he is bringing to mind this entire story. This is, um, whenever you read a quote in the New Testament, it's not just the quote that they're quoting, it's the entire story. Like Jesus on the cross, when Jesus is up there hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, whoa. Come on, Jesus. God hadn't forsaken you. That's not what he's doing. He's actually bringing to mind an entire psalm that speaks about his sacrifice. And it's one of the first lines in that psalm. And so when he says that, it doesn't bring to mind people, you know, make people go, oh, he's abandoning his God. They thought about that psalm. I believe it's Psalm 93 or 6. I forget now. I looked it up the other day, but I forgot now. And, and, and so this whole psalm comes into mind. And this is what Paul's doing here. He's bringing the entire story of Abraham to mind. Remember that this is an, a memorization culture. This is a storytelling culture, right? So just by mentioning this one verse, it triggers the entire story in the mind of the readers and the hearers. And so the verse that he uses is Genesis 21.12. 21.12, he says, he says, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The full verse is, But God said to him, do not, be, do not be so distressed about the boy. The boy is Ishmael and your maidservant. L listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The entire short version of the story is this. Sarah and Abraham are 89 and 80 years old. And Sarah says, I'm barren. I can't give you children. I want you to take my maidservant, and I want you to have a child with her, and we'll continue our lineage through this child. So they wait a year, and he does. They have Ishmael. Ishmael grows up, and then a year later, God comes to Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you children. Abraham goes, <laughs> uh, with Sarah? No. We've tried this. We've tried this a lot, and it hadn't worked. And he comes back to him, and he says, a year from now, you're going to have a child. This time, Sarah laughs. And it's funny. If you read the story, I think it's in uh, Genesis uh, 18. Sarah laughs, and she's in a tent far away. And she laughs. She's like, <laughs> and then God goes, why'd you laugh? She goes, I didn't laugh. He goes, you did laugh, right? And he catches her. <laughs> and, then, and then it says nothing after that. It's like, you can just see Sarah going, all right, I laughed, yeah, okay. And, and so in, in chapter 21, God fulfills his promise. He gives them the boy Isaac. 
And God chooses Isaac to lead and be the nation of Israel. And God promises, fulfilled His promise that He would have a son. Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90. Right? That's old. It's real old. So God declares that the promise will go through Isaac and not through Ishmael. Now, if it's the normal tradition, you go through Ishmael. Because Ishmael was the firstborn. But God doesn't work on tradition. God works on the promises that He gives. And so for whatever reason, God decided that the nation of Israel will go through Isaac, probably because um, Ishmael was not um, born of Isaac and Sarah in the marriage uh, of the marriage bed. So just because you were born into the lineage of Abraham did not mean you were one of God's spiritual children. This is the point that, God, that Paul's trying to make. Now this word reckoned kind of throws people for a loop. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It is the same, it is the Hebrew word uh, that is the same as the Greek word we looked at last week that is called, the word called. And if you remember um, last week, the word called is an invitation that can be denied, but it should be accepted. And most people are going to accept it. And so, in other words, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be called. God calls each and every one of these people and says, come to me, be my child. Not just because you were born into this nation, but because you belong to me. So you can see how God chose Isaac, but even he had to choose to follow the Lord as God as would each of his descendants. And then we'll close up verse 8. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So Paul restates his point here. You're not born into being a child of God. You must choose to believe God's character and promises. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the New Testament being born again. This is the Old Testament version of what Jesus talks to Nicodemus about. And Nicodemus is a religious guy and he's so confused. He's like, what's going on? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, okay, gross. It's kind of disgusting. And he says, no, no, no. Right here. You've got you to have a heart change. And you've got to let me change it. And so in the New Testament and all the way up to today, a person must believe in Jesus and live their lives in obedience to Him. We must quit sin. We must live according to His purpose for our lives. This is just a foreshadowing of Jesus who was to come. And Paul is screaming from the rooftops in chapter 9, Trust Jesus! Trust Him! Trust Him! Trust Him! So the question that I want to leave us with, that I want you to go home with, that I want you to turn over in your heart and in your mind, have you ever been posed this question, have you chosen Jesus? Or do you choose to try your best to be good and work your way to heaven? Have you chosen Jesus or do you rely on your heritage? Because doing good does not outweigh your sin. Your heritage and your family, they do not save you from your sin. God doesn't care about anything other than having your heart and making you like Him. 
And that only comes from a relationship with Jesus. That only comes from choosing to trust and obey and follow Jesus. Let me pray. And I'll take some questions about all this. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we um, that we can't do it on our own. God, we thank you that you, through your Son, came down to die for us, to take our sins for us. Father, we thank you that, that no matter how good we try to be, and we can't be good enough, we thank you, God, that you are good enough for us. We thank you that you've given us your promises, and you've shown us what... Your word says, and Father, we thank you that that you are good, and you fulfilled every single promise that you've ever made, including the promise that if we come to you, if we place our trust in you and our lives in your hands, with every decision we make and choice we make, and we come to you and we seek your guidance, Father, we we know that you fulfill the promise that we are righteous eyes, that your Son has made us righteous. So Father, we give you thanks and we give you honor and praise and we pray through this week that you will be glorified by our lives. We pray this in